Hello there, and welcome to The Familiar Strange. I'm your host for this week, Carolyn West, and before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose lands we are recording this podcast, and pay our respects to the elders of the Wuthering people of the Kulin Nation, as well as the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri peoples, past, present, and emerging. All right, let's begin. Welcome back to a brand new year, new podcasting season, and a new semester for those of you tuning in from Australia. The Familiar Strange is brought to you with support from the Australian Anthropological Society, the Australian National University's College of Asia and the Pacific, and the College of Arts and Social Sciences. We're also produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Now, all of that is a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> this is my first time hosting, which is kind of nerve-wracking to say the very least and we're also mixing things up a little this year you know we figured new year new production format new us so why not take a little leap and try something new now don't worry for all you long-term listeners out there things aren't going to be too different instead of the usual panel format we're going to be doing our best to stick to just one or two topics today allowing us to dive in hopefully a little deeper into conversation so today I'm joined by a few familiar voices, Alex DeLoya, Hello. Simon Theobald, Hello. and Timothy Johnson. Hello. This week, we're looking at the US election and the subsequent misinformation that is born out of times of unrest. Is this topic a little overdone? Maybe. Do we feel like anthropology can provide a unique insight to the conversation? Absolutely. So with that in mind, what do you think we as anthropologists can actually offer to the conversation around elections in the United States? So this is actually really timely and not just because there's been a US election, but I was actually chatting with my dad about this the other day. And you got to understand, my dad's an accountant. He very much has come to anthropology through me. And he asked me, he said, so I feel like you get all these media articles about Trump supporters and Trump supporters like this or they're like that. But I feel like none of them really get to what they actually are. Is that the sort of thing that anthropology could talk about? And I was like, yes, yes, that is exactly correct. Now, I do think in that question is a bit of an error. It's probably a better word. I don't think there's a single group of Trump supporters. And I think that is a large part of the problem. You know, we're anthropologists, we like to complicate stuff. But I do think a much closer reading of these groups and ethnography of certain sections of Trump supporters would be really useful. Because I think, at least in the sort of lefty media, they tend to just get stereotyped and become kind of caricatures rather than deep people with their own social lives. Yeah, that's really interesting, Alex. And I think, as you touched on there, I mean, there's these perceptions that there's this stereotypical, you know, red MAGA cap wearing Trump voter. But the reality is, is Trump received some 74 million votes. And I mean, that represents 74 million people. So in that sense, they're not some homogenous group, but they really are a large, diverse group of people from right across the United States. I think looking back on 2016 and the lead up to the 2016 election, there was this 
argument that you know the liberals lowercase l liberals or democrats in the lead up to the election in 2016 underestimated them as the other and you know it's looking like in the first couple of weeks of the biden government that that certainly is not the case in that there's this real appeal to govern for all americans whether they voted for him or not so i think in terms of you know that anthropological approach you could argue that there's a very real difference between Biden's approach and Trump's approach in terms of that electorate and that broad appeal. I think you can't hit the nail on the head, but I think, that, Alex, I think the difference between something like political science or, I mean, maybe sociologists will disagree with us here, but even sociology and, and the other kind of social scientific or humanities disciplines is that anthropology offers the long-term participant observation. I think that it really is the kind of potential difference between us and other disciplines. It allows you to go down to the nitty-gritty. I guess the question is whether then we think that the results of that study are possible to extrapolate to a larger audience. So is it possible to say, for instance, I mean, if we do a micro-study, an anthropological study of 10, 20 Trump supporters, are those are the results that we find? Is the I'm trying to, I'm trying to practice this this art of not saying like results and information. One of my hosts here in Germany is really like insistent on kind of co-creating a language of knowledge together without using the thing, words like data and results. This is what I find really interesting about the idea of anthropology dealing with Trump supporters or people who are politically opposed to anthropology's project in general, because it's kind of a fallacy, it's a, a truism. I would say that most anthropologists are on the political left. I mean, even though there might be interneastine discipline, disciplinary debates between people who are more conservative versus people who are less conservative, overall, they are politically leftist. And sometimes I think the question of how we deal with people who have ideas that are 180 degrees opposed to our own is less well handled in anthropology than, say, working with people who are more ideologically within the same family of concepts. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of takes me away from my original point, which is what I wanted to get at, which is whether you guys think anthropology's experiences are extrapolatable. Is it possible to extrapolate from a very small section, which is, which is where the richness comes in anthropology, right, where you get the real depth and beauty, I think. But can we then say the things that this community told me about Trump supporters in this instance is or isn't relatable to other, not other societies, but other has broad implications for the kind of political landscape of the United States? Yes, I think it should. <laughs> Because I think you have to differentiate between big quantitative, we are going to like compare income and health outcomes and education across whole populations. But maybe this is why I'm just too practical minded at the end of the day. If we can't extrapolate something, if our work has no meaning beyond those 10 to 20 people, what's the point? If that is all we can do, then as far as I can see, anthropology is just kind of like, a niche interest for the sake of being interest. Like all we can say is like, this is how people are. This is how these people are. And people can only really just want to be like, huh, that's kind of neat. But I guess ethnographies come with their own set of limitations as well, or more in-depth studies, um, such as time. And I think that's especially poignant considering we live in a very intense digital age where information spreads very quickly. So how do you feel that perhaps 
uh, practices and long-term research and what those sorts of methods and sort of the beauty and all of the detail that those things can bring out, what kind of place do you think that they have in a digital information age? Yeah, so I mean, thinking about limitations of ethnography, I mean, in anthropology, ethnography is often employed to make sense of those that we might identify as the other. So in a way, I guess ethnography can help to identify the continuity of things that may seem inconsistent. And so what I was thinking is that ethnography has much to offer when thinking about, you know, Trump and the US election and Trumpism. But I guess in this context and with the rise of Trump and Trumpism, there's this real challenge to search for this continuity and explain away the contradictions. And as I was thinking about this before jumping into this podcast, like in many ways, Trump represents these contradictions. He's really taken political advantage of those contradictions in the sense that voters recognize their own inconsistencies and inconsistencies in their beliefs and contradictions and see those reflected back at them. So I guess my question is, is ethnography the right tool to be employed in in this case? Can it help us to understand these differences? Does it play or can it play a role in healing some of these divisions that we've seen play out over the last couple of years? Jumping off that, even if it can, would people want it to? Uh, maybe I'm about the healing, the divisions, but like the deep understanding. So something I thought when we started to talk about this topic is what would you guys think of like an ontological approach towards Trumpism? Or let's say an ontological approach to QAnon supporters, right? Like where you say, okay, maybe they live in a world where these things are real. Like where we treat it that way ethnographically. I mean... I have spoken to anthropologists on this show. Please go listen to my interview with Sophie Chow, who have talked to um, Shapeshifter in Papua New Guinea. Now, that is something that in my day-to-day life I don't think is particularly quote-unquote real. But from an ontological perspective, you say, okay, maybe that person lives in a different world and that person really shapeshifts. And I'm okay with that, really. But would I, could I take the same approach to somebody, as Simon's been saying, whose beliefs are so different to my own, who are, I mean, as we've said, like there's a diversity of Trump supporters. I don't want to put them all in the same basket, but let's say you fall in with QAnon, with these people who stormed the Capitol. Could you give them a fair shake? Could you really? (laughs) I know, I know. But really, Do you think you could, I don't know if it's fairly or not, but write that perspective out, write about a world in which those beliefs, those ideas are real, are as real as anyone else's world? I don't think I could personally. I don't know how you guys feel. I think in some ways, in thinking about the QAnon supporters, perhaps it is that when we see them on our screens and in the media, you know, we can kind of see ourselves in them as well. They're kind of a homogenous group, like we were talking about before with Trump supporters. But I think what really is a distinction here, perhaps, is that, you know, and in terms of the very real outcomes here, you know, with QAnon supporters, you know, being legislators, there's very real impacts in terms of policy. And I think that's what's most concerning to me in terms of their influence over 
you know, foreign policy, domestic policy, you know, infiltration within, you know, those political ideologies and political parties. I mean, I think that is something that's of concern to me. But I mean, you know, there's there's definitely a difference there in terms of what Alex was talking about in terms of shapeshifters in West Papua and QAnon supporters. I mean, we can see ourselves reflected in, you know, a QAnon supporter on a front page of a paper, for example, and perhaps, you know, that would be different in, you know, thinking about a shapeshifter in West Papua. I mean, the context is different. And I think there's that kind of, you know, that sense that we can identify with them based on, you know, some similarities that we may have or not have, despite the differences in terms of, you know, those beliefs. I think the, the kind of issue that we're all getting at here, though, is this question of, I don't know what you would call it, the kind of the nature of anthropology, anthropology's political project and whether we understand ourselves as putting forward a particular worldview. And often, you know, they talk about anthropology, I can't remember who said it, someone famous said it. anthropology is making the world safe for human diversity and so on. Ruth Benedict, I think. I don't think we can take anthropology seriously as a discipline unless it kind of seriously tackles these issues of people who are opposed to its own project. You know, if we only end up studying people who are, who we like, yeah, then it kind of does a disservice to the actual diversity of the human experience, which is why anthropology is also trying to, is something that it's trying to get at. I think you make a really good intellectual point. I always come back to the pragmatics of it in that I have read a few ethnographies where an anthropologist has gone to some group of people they clearly do not have much sympathy for, done their field work, and then kind of, for want of a better term, trashed them later. But these ideas of like things like hypocrisy and lying and so on, the idea that we, we expose people as, as lying and being hypocrites, that it will somehow denigrate their humanity. I think for me the reality is that it exposes their humanity in a good way. It shows that they are rich individuals with coloured lives in the same way that we would want to do for Trump supporters, and even though you can like, I mean, I'm fundamentally opposed to almost everything personally and everything that Trump did, but aside from the fact that he was just a grotesque individual, but there surely is merit in trying to flesh out the caricature which we have at the moment of Trump supporters into something more real, something more tangible that we can actually understand. Because only that way can you really engage in a conversation particularly if you're thinking about anthropology as something that can change people's minds, that encourages them to think differently about the world. Approaching it from that manner also kind of highlights that you're not really discounting the way that people feel about certain things or how they feel like they might have been swept under the rug politically, I guess. You're kind of elevating that almost by giving them space to to voice their opinions about these things. On the flip side, though, should we be careful about who we give a platform to? That I don't like. I don't have an answer to that question. I think that's a really good question because I, and I know there's a whole thing about deplatforming people with particularly kind of politically insidious, perhaps, ideas. Yeah, I mean, with rights also come great responsibility as well. And you know, thinking about rights and First Amendment rights and freedom of speech, I think that you know, with that freedom of speech. I mean, there should be limitations in terms of the reach of, you know, those views. And yeah, I mean, just going back to the earlier point that we were talking about, just thinking about anthropology and its role, you know, to force people really out of their own kind of central understandings or ethos and facilitate this greater appreciation for, you know, 
other cultures that are less familiar and beliefs and behaviors. Do you not think that if there was a greater appreciation of anthropology or anthropological approaches by Trump supporters, that there would be that kind of space created for that greater acceptance of others' views, beliefs, cultures? I don't know, because I would say, as we've sort of hinted at, more than hinted at, sort of stated, even on the left, I think there's very selective engagement with anthropological knowledge. You can still be biased within anthropology. And like, yeah, a lot of anthropologists are, I guess, more left-leaning, like Alex said, but you can still have anthropologists on the other side as well. And I think we shouldn't discount that. You know, if there was a greater appreciation for the role of anthropology, you know, broadly within society, but, you know, including that of people who support Trump or are QAnon supporters, do you think that, you know, that would also facilitate appreciation of others' views, you know, that may have more moderate political views or more progressive political views or or otherwise? Do you think it works both ways in that sense? I think anthropology is is definitely like, it does show us things, but I'm not sure that the disciplinary debates that we have necessarily bring us closer to making those relevant to a broader audience. Well, I guess that's all we have time for today. So thank you to Alex. Thank you very much. Simon. You're welcome. And Timothy. Thanks, Carolyn. And me, your host, Carolyn. Today's episode was produced by all of us here at The Familiar Strange. Our executive producers are the wonderful Deanna Cato and Matthew Fong. Subscribe to The Familiar Strange podcast. You can find us on iTunes and all the other familiar places, including Spotify. And if you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash The Familiar Strange. Not the Strange Familiars, which is another fun podcast, just not ours. You can find the show notes, including a list of all the books and papers mentioned today, plus our blog about anthropology's role in the world at thefamiliarstrange.com. If you want to contribute to the blog or have anything to say to me or the other hosts of this program, feel free to email us at submissions at thefamiliarstrange.com. We also have a Facebook group you can join to extend any of the ideas we have shared on the podcast today. Find us at The Familiar Strange Chats. And let us know what you think about the new panel format. Love it? Hate it? We want to know. Tweet to us at TFS Tweets. And finally, music by Pete Dabrow with a special thanks to Will Grant, Martin Pierce, and Maud Rowe. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep talking strange. <laughs>